Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Now, Lake Point family, special treat today. You know, what you need to know as we're in this season of casting vision for more than us where we're headed as a church, I didn't sit in a room and just come up with this all by myself. Me and our founding pastor, the legend Steve Stroop, we really kind of dreamed this together about what the future of Lake Point would look like. And so today, ladies and gentlemen, we have an absolutely incredible honor. Now, what y'all need to know is it is not easy for me to get this man to preach anymore. He preached for 40 years. So y'all have to appreciate this man like the spiritual father and hero that he is and as much as he deserves. And so Lake Point family, would you please put your hands together and welcome our founding pastor, Pastor Steve Stroop. You know, preaching, Preaching on a regular basis is like running a marathon on a regular basis, and if you haven't done it for a while, you could pull a hamstring, okay? <laughs> so I just wanna warn you about that. Hey, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Ken Blanchard. He has written 60 books on management and leadership. The most famous is The One Minute Manager that I know a lot of you have read. And I had the privilege several years ago of actually serving on a board of a nonprofit organization, and his wife, Margie, was also on that board. And so as a result of that, I was able one evening to sit down at dinner with Ken and Margie, which was a really big deal for me because I've had a man crush on Ken for a long, long time. And, and during that dinner, he told the story about the fact that he also teaches at the University of San Diego. And he's always in trouble with the dean of the School of Leadership and Management there because almost everyone who goes to his class gets an A. And he's not just handing those things out. Here's, here's what Ken does. It's the beginning of every semester, he hands out on the first day the final exam. He wants them to know what they need to know by the end of the course. And then he spends the entire semester telling them what to put in the blanks because he's teaching them what's gonna be on the final exam. When he told that story, I thought of the fact that that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has already told us what's gonna be on the final exam. And we find that in Matthew, the 25th chapter, it talks about what's gonna happen when all of time ends. In Matthew, the 25th chapter, verse 31, it says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. In that passage, it goes on, he says that he will put the sheep on his right hand and he will put the goats on his left hand. And then he'll turn to those who are on his right hand and he will say, come, you blessed of the Father, inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and yet you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then that scripture says that those who are on the right will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry 
or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison. And he will say, inasmuch as you've done it and to the least of these, my brethren, you were doing it to me. Friends, that's what's going to be on the final exam. How you and I treated the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely. Now be real careful. This is not what the scripture is saying. It's not saying if we do good works in our lifetime, we go to heaven. What it is saying is that the irrefutable proof that you have received the love of God is that it is flowing out of your life and touching the lives of others. It's proof that you've been involved in what I like to call the great exchange. And the great exchange is detailed for us in Matthew, the 11th chapter, when Jesus said these words. He says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my load is light. Now what he's saying there is that when we come to Jesus, we come with all of our burdens, ones that are too heavy for us to carry, our shame, our guilt, our past. We also come with all of our needs in this lifetime. And Jesus says, if you'll come to me, I'll take all of that burden off of you. I'll carry your load. But... You're not gonna go away empty-handed. I'm gonna give you my yoke. And I love this, this metaphor of the yoke because whenever a, a farmer would take a, a new oxen and he wanted to train that oxen, he would put that oxen with another ox in a double yoke. And that double yoke meant that that stronger, more experienced oxen would carry the bulk of the weight, but that younger one that tread beside him would learn from the older oxen, but would not have all the weight. And Jesus says, I'm gonna take all of your burdens off of you, but I want to give you my yoke. It's easy, it's light. And that is the burden of other people that are in your life, that are around you every day. It's the great exchange where we give God our burdens, but we pick up the burdens of others. Jesus never calls us to receive from him that he doesn't send us out to give to others. Our student center here at the Rockwall campus is called Pier 419. You know why that's called that? It's because in Matthew 419, it says, come unto me, come and follow me, and I'll then make you fishers of men. You see, we don't want our students just to come and learn about the love of God. We want them to come, but then we want them to be sent. We want them to share the love of God with other students who need him just as much as they need him. Right now, we're in a church-wide emphasis that we're calling more than us. And it actually has a double meaning to it. It means, first of all, it's gonna take more than us to share the love of God with this world. And because of that, we're gonna invest in our campuses and we're gonna invest in planting churches all around the United States and we're gonna invest in local partners and international partners. And as we invest in them, as we start a school of ministry that will prepare the, the leaders of the next generation, what we're doing is we're helping other organizations, ministries, and churches because together we can do it, but it's gonna take more than us. But you know, it has a second meaning as well. The second meaning is that we look beyond our own needs. It's not just about us. It's not me, us four, and no more, my family and nobody else. And this is not anything new for our church. It was a part of the spirit that started this church over 42 years ago. When seven families who were meeting uh, in a church with a white steeple and a clean nursery and a 
great student ministry said, you know, there are going to be some people moving out on the peninsula between uh, Dallas and Rockwall who are coming new to this area. They may not feel comfortable coming to an established Baptist church. Let's create a church where everyone feels welcome. And those seven families crossed over the lake and they started by, by renting out a bait house that had gone out of business the year before. And they got in there and they scraped the floors and they painted the walls and they did everything to get rid of the smell of the bait that had been in there. And they started having services. Why did they do that? Because they realized it was about more than just their families and their comfort and their students. It was about more than themselves. And that same spirit is alive in our church today. See, more than us is not about us getting bigger by establishing new campuses and improving the ones that we have. And it's not about us getting bigger. In fact, I love what Pastor Josh says. He says, we're not a big church considering the need that's out there. We are a small church with a big vision. And as long as there's one lost sheep, as long as there's one person who has not experienced the love of God, we, we must get bigger and bigger. If you think our church is too big, Pastor Josh says, then your love for the lost is too small. And I agree with that. This is not about building and money. It's about people and eternity. Linda Ellis has written a book called The Dash. I don't know if you've read it yet or not, but she talks about the fact that on every tombstone, there is a date that the person is born, and then there is the day that they died. And in the middle, there's a dash. And the dash is what's so important. The dash is what it's all about. It's about how we live between those two dates. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, it's about how we live from the time that we came to Jesus and we gave him our burdens. And then he gave us the commission to go out and to share that love with others. What did we do in the dash? That's what matters. Uh, Paul writes about that living in the dash in Philippians, the second chapter, and he gives to us the very person of Jesus Christ as our example of how we're to live. In Philippians 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look after your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. In other words, more than me. But then he points to Christ because Christ modeled that life for us. There in verse 5 it says, Have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus, who as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. You understand what he's saying there? Jesus Christ was a part of the triune God, and he didn't hang on to those privileges. He didn't feel entitled. He didn't live out of fear that he would somehow be seen as less than God. You see, our, our choice is fear or faith, and we're to have the attitude that Jesus had. You see, Jesus trusted God the Father. In fact, later on in this passage, it says that after Jesus died on the cross that God raised him up and gave him a name that's above all other names that at one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And when Jesus was in that garden and he was facing the hell that he would go through on the cross, 
He said, if there's any way that I can meet these people's needs and love them on your behalf, any other way, let this cup pass from me. He knew the cost, but he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. It was a, it was a, it was an attitude of faith. Friends, you got two choices. You can either have faith or you can have control. You can't have both at the same time. <laughs> you have to choose. Jesus chose on our behalf. It was more than about him. But not only did he have the right attitude, but he had the right actions. There in that same passage it says, but he emptied himself, verse seven, by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as if he was just a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death even on a cross. It's about our actions. You know, we come here and we talk a good game about loving others, but friends, loving others is about sacrifice. And it's about whether we set limits about how far we'll go. You know, we're gonna take care of us first and if we have anything left over, then we're gonna maybe help others. No, that's not what Jesus did. He became obedient to the point of death. See, the attitude is about trusting. The action is about obeying. Trust and obey. When I was a kid growing up, we used to sing a song in church that said, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. See, the real danger is that we would talk the talk but not walk the walk. And when we're asked to give up our time, when we're asked to use and leverage our influence, we're asked to reach in our pocket, very frankly, and write a check or make a charge. It's about whether we really believe whether there's really an alignment between what we say we believe and our lives. I finished a book uh, about a month ago by a fellow by the name of Simon Sinek. Uh, the title of the book is The Infinite Game. And he compares in that book the companies that live for the long haul and those who are just trying to satisfy Wall Street on any particular day. The, the, they're living the finite game instead of the infinite game. And one of the illustrations in the book intrigued me. It was the illustration about CVS, the pharmacy company that we all know of. Uh, they have a purpose statement. Their purpose statement is helping people on their path to a better health. Helping people on the path to better health. That's a noble purpose statement. So they were having a board meeting, and one of their board meetings said, let me read our purpose statement. Helping people on the path to better health. He said, does that not seem strange that we're selling tobacco products? And it kind of upset the board. He kind of rolled a grenade into that board meeting. And they discussed and they debated and they had more board meetings. And finally, they made a very courageous decision. Back in 2014, CBS decided to stop selling tobacco products. Now, that was a $2 billion decision. All 2,800 stores would stop selling tobacco products. Wall Street was not happy. In fact, the stock fell, but interestingly enough, in the next eight months, it went back and doubled in the stock price of the previous price before the announcement. Why is that? We well, see, everybody thought that all those cigarette sales at those 2,800 stores were gonna go to the competitor. They were gonna go to somebody else, but they didn't. If you looked at the zip codes in the next eight months, the zip codes where those stores existed, 
the sales did not go up in those other stores. In fact, in those zip codes, 95 million less cigarette packs were purchased during that time period. People, it got people's attention. There were a lot of people who wanted to quit and thought, well, this might be a good time if my store is gonna take this leap of faith. This is the time I'll quit as well. And it was encouraging. By the way, most people who smoke would love to quit. Uh, I think it's interesting that in the 2,800 stores that nicotine patches, the sale of them went up 4% during that same time. And, and they were worried about their earnings. They, uh, there's, a, there's a term in a store like that of how much they earn per square foot each day. And prior to this announcement, they were earning $1.04 per square foot in their stores. It dropped when they made the announcement to about 95 cents. The next quarter, it was up 70% to $1.77 earnings per square foot. Because people came to the store that was living in alignments with its stated purposes. Their cost of turnover employees went way down. They saved millions and millions of dollars because now their employees were proud to work for a store that walked its talk. Now, friends, if a secular store can make a courageous move like that and live for the long game rather than the short gain, how much more, those of us who know we're going to live forever, how much more should we make that commitment? This next year, I'll turn 69, which means I'm getting really close to a big milestone. I think it's a big milestone of being 70 years old. And it's kind of a sobering thought when you think about it. In about a year and a half, I'll be 70 years old, which means I will have lived almost half of my life. I mean, do the math. <laughs> and so I'm thinking more about the long haul. And I, and I want to be able to say what Paul said when he wrote in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also those who love his appearing. Paul talks about coming to the home stretch of his life and his ministry, and, he, and he's looking forward to a crown. A crown. Other places in the Bible, it talks about the fact that the risen Savior will give those of us who are on his right hand a crown. And you wonder what that means, and, and yet we get a little bit of insight when in Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse one, Paul is writing to the people who were saved because of what he went through in a Philippian jail there, where he was beaten, thrown in prison, but people came to faith. And here's what he said to them. He said, you are my joy. You are my crown. What we invest today in the kingdom of heaven our money, our influence, our time, there's a payback someday. You know, it's interesting to me that on, in the year that we started Lake Point Church was also the year that Apple went public, the IPO was issued. Don't you wish you knew back then what we know about that little company now with that funny little logo? If you had invested $1,000 in Apple when our church was started, it'd be worth $2.1 million right now but I've got a better deal for you. You can invest in Lake Point and its ministries and its heart right now. And one day you will receive 
a crown that's much, much more valuable. This past week, I was in San Francisco visiting uh, one of our church plants that we started 11 years ago. I was with uh, Ben and Shauna Pilgrim. And I remember when I first met them, uh, they, uh, Ben was actually on staff at uh, Second Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri, but he felt like God was calling him to plant a church in San Francisco. And somebody put us together and we listened to his preaching and we did profile studies on him. I thought, man, this guy's the, the best leader. And I said, Ben, where are you thinking about planting a church? And he said, San Francisco. And I said, oh no, you can't go to San Francisco. We've already planted a church in the San Francisco Bay Area about three years ago. And he said, well, like, uh, so there are no more lost people there? <laughs> I said, yeah, but Ben, I've got to go to my people and raise money, and I've already held up San Francisco. I need another city, I can say, and we're going to send a church plan to you. He said, well, that's where I'm going. And we said, okay, we're with you. And then we discovered something really cool was that Andy Wood, who had planted a church in the South Bay area of the San Francisco Bay, was then able to be a mentor to Ben and his family. And now we have six churches that we have fully planted in the San Francisco Bay Area and we're planting a seventh one this year. You can clap about that. But I think about this courageous family who left the comfort of the Bible Belt and a comfortable church and a comfortable job. Ben and Shauna had three boys at the time. They were two, four, and six years old and as young church planters, they didn't have the money to put their kids in private school. They didn't have that luxury. Their kids would be going into the school system of San Francisco. And they could have lived in fear and pulled back, but instead they lived in faith that God would be faithful not only to keep their family intact and on course, but to reach and to touch other people. They held their very first service in the W Hotel in downtown San Francisco, and they were there several months when the management of the W Hotel found out what they believed and what they were teaching, and they threw them out of the hotel. We immediately tried to help them find a place to meet in downtown San Francisco. Finally found a little place, about 10,000 square feet, that we could put 300 chairs up because they were growing fast. And it only cost us $50,000 to lease each month. Yeah. Uh, at that time, uh, their oldest son, Elijah, started school a little bit after that. And uh, the very first friend he made was a little boy by the name of Monty. And uh, Monty uh, had two moms, and neither one of his moms uh, were believers. And uh, Monty, uh, along the course of his uh, school life, started getting in some trouble and having some fights. And, and so Elijah decided that he was going to make uh, Monty his prayer project. In fact, they were not only in the same grade for five years, they were in the same class for five years. And so uh, up above his bed, this little first grader put Monty's name. And every night when, when uh, Ben and Shauna would tuck him into bed, they would pray for some people who were on that list, but they were always praying for, for Monty, that he would come to know the love of God and that it would change his life. It was great to be there for the board meeting because they were giving reports to us. One of the reports they gave was about their initiative. They actually had an initiative like we're having right now, uh, not only to meet some needs of their church, but so they could plant other churches in that area. And part of their goal was to raise enough money to put down a down payment on a future piece of land. 
See, their dream is that they would take that little 300-seat auditorium and then make it a 600-seat auditorium. They'd go from 10,000 square feet to 20,000 square feet. But that means that they'd have to buy a building that we projected would cost about $20 million. And they'd have to put down about $9 million cash to even borrow the rest of the money. So they set a goal and they knew they couldn't raise the full $9 million, but they set a goal for $5 million, this little church that was running about 600 people. And they brought in pledges and gifts of $6 million. Yeah. And then one of the, it wasn't all cash. There was $5 million in cash and pledges for the next three years. But there was a, a, a stock gift that was given for someone they had reached in downtown San Francisco. And the stock gift was worth a $1 million. That was two years ago. It's worth four times that much right now. So they have the $9 million. You know, when I, when I heard that, that they now can start looking for property in downtown San Francisco in the middle of a pandemic where prices are slightly going down, I thought about the loaves and the fishes that that little boy brought, and Jesus blessed it, and all of a sudden it was enough, if it was enough. I think about the sacrifices that you guys made 11 years ago so that Ben and Shauna could go and know that we were holding the rope. And they could take the risk of bringing their family into that environment. And I think then about the sacrifices of those people that they had reached right in that community so that one day they could have a more permanent home. And I believe before the year's over, they're going to find some place. They're going to put that money down and then they're going to launch a second initiative to help pay for the, the, the payment on the rest of the note and to remodel that facility into a welcoming home for people who would come to hear about the love of God right in the heart of that city. But in addition to giving us financial information at the board meeting and telling us that people are start coming back to the church and not just watching online, just like it's happening here in the Metroplex, they told some stories about some changed lives. And one of the stories that they told was that Elijah's friend, who's now a senior in high school, Monty, last month became a Christian and was baptized at Epic. <laughs> Friends, that's the crown. That's the return on our investment. Change lives who will live forever in fellowship with God. Let's thank him for that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us Thank you, Jesus, for coming to die for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for empowering us to be your representatives in this world. Keep the heart of more than me in each and every one of our hearts. Keep the spirit of the seven more than us in our church across this metroplex so that more Montes can come to know the good news and the love that you have and that you offer to our world. Thank you for giving us a privilege to participate in just a small, small way. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, 
Join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. Lake Point.